0: Last summer, Amazon released an explosive docu-series titled Shiny Happy People, which exposed the dark underbelly of the Duggar family, formerly known for their popular TLC show, 19 Kids and Counting. The series sheds a bright light on the insidious cult teachings used by families like the Duggars and the sinister cult leader behind the entire movement. Bill Gothard. Gothard's strict ideology towards biblical adherence and obedience to authority emphasizes large homeschool families and using corporal punishment on children and babies, which formed an extremist curriculum known as the IBLP, or Institute of Basic Life Principles. The entire goal? World domination in the name of Jesus. My guest today was not only raised under these extreme principles, she was handpicked and groomed by the predatory cult leader himself. Lindsay Williams was prominently featured in Shiny Happy People, but there's so much more to tell that didn't make the show. Today she joins me to dig into our shared trauma of growing up in the same authoritarian cult and how we're navigating life and relationships 20 years later. It's my trauma twin. So excited to share in your trauma and our trauma. I mean normally therapists frown upon trauma bonds but in this case I feel like it's fine. I mean... Because we're about to trauma bond.
1: And trauma bonding is why it's such a good podcast.
0: And that's on Mary Had a Little Lamb. Where did you grow up?
1: My dad was in the Air Force. So we moved around all over the place. We were in New Jersey when we got started in ATI. So they actually pulled us out of a public school in New Jersey. And I was really happy, actually, on on one hand, to be pulled out of that school because my teacher was just abysmal. She was such a bully. And um, we had moved from the state of Washington all the way across the country to oh, wow. ger- to New Jersey and in, New- in Washington I think it was like they teach handwriting in the third grade but mm-hmm. in New Jersey they teach it in the second grade so I'm dropping into third grade hot without any handwriting and my teacher was just she I remember she gave me like this summer project my I had relatives in town or something and I had to literally do this whole like write up in handwriting and it just it was melting me down but anyway Mm -hmm. when my yeah when my parents uh decided to homeschool us I had a small bit of joy where I'm like oh my gosh I get to get away from this lady and there were some bullies in school that I was having to deal with a little bit too but then uh the second I started realizing what we were getting taught I was so confused and I even think I say in the documentary I'm like what in the honky tonk is this like (laughs) it just was so weird to me and it, it was I had enough school to know that this was not
0: yeah. normal school yeah <laughs> you had like a baseline in yeah least. even as a kid and I was just like this is weird <laughs> was your mom not also a bully like my mom <laughs> oh they to school <laughs> I mean
1: our parents became our bullies you know but for sure the, as far as the schooling For a minute, it was nice to not have to deal with 30 kids in a classroom, constantly being confused, being a little picked on. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't like heavily bullied, but there were a few things where, you know, that the child Karens of the classroom (laughs) were always trying to get other people in trouble. And that was, I just always seemed to fall into these like really weird situations. Um, But my my father was more militant, obviously, uh, than my mom, but... I mean, they just wanted us to memorize and memorize and memorize scripture and just be the perfect ATI kids. I don't think they really cared Mm -hmm. about how smart we were. They cared that we reflected all the character and the religious relationship with God and our purity and our our truly performative perfection. That's what they wanted most from us, I think.
0: Yeah, it's like the children were kind of the um, pawns and the bragging rights to how spiritual and godly the parents are. It's like you're a reflection of how amazing and close to God your parents are.
1: Exactly. you're just like
0: regurgitating. All you're doing is regurgitating.
1: It's just copycat. You, you mm-hmm. just learn to copycat everything and to mimic everything that you see uh, just so that you can kind of fit into the surrounding and then also get, you know, in trouble when you're at home. You know, when you're out in public, you're right. at church, you're always at church. <laughs> I'm like, always. I can't think of anywhere else I was always at church or the grocery right. store or a craft store for my mother. But um, it, it, we just had to be on our best performance level every time we mm-hmm. left the house. And, and that's exhausting as a kid. You know, you're really, you're you're put into this space where it, you have to be perfect all the time. And that hyper vigilance of someone's always going to watch. My parents are always paying attention. And um, I became very paranoid very quickly as a kid.
0: And that's one aspect of the paranoia. There's so many layers of the paranoia and the fear that mm-hmm. were kind of like the building blocks to that whole lifestyle and that whole belief system. But yeah, it is 1000% performance based. Like all of us should be big in Hollywood at this point <laughs> like, like right. we sold it we sold it <laughs> we were
1: great we were great little advertisers for oh, how yeah. this system should work you know I mean mm-hmm. when they called the documentary shiny happy people they really weren't wrong you know we were right. we were selling something we were selling the awesomeness of Jesus we were selling the perfection that you could attain through Bill Gothard's IBLP and just the stick of the parents. Mm-hmm. And then somehow it just made the kids perfect. And every mom out there, I think it's also why 19 Kids and Counting was so popular because every mother in America... <laughs> wanted their kids to be as perfect and happy and healthy and respectful and responsible and loyal and just so joyful to be a part of this family you know
0: no rebellion whatsoever and it's like yeah well there's a lot underneath (laughs) actually we were all just being abused behind the scenes (laughs) yes and And we were covering up our abuse with big smiles exactly we were just submitting yes <laughs> submitting to the abuse exactly mm. i know i always felt really bad i i may have mentioned this before i think on a i did an interview with cults to consciousness one time and you know early on and sharing my story and we were talking about the duggars a little bit i'm like oh, actually i used to be really jealous of the duggar girls because they they seem to have even more privilege than i did as far as like being in the public eye and just like interacting with people more and socializing more and just they seemed even more worldly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> than I was allowed to be. So I was like low key jealous of the Duggars. Mm-hmm. Um but then, you know, as an adult I'm and looking at them now, it's so obvious they were experiencing the same shit that we were, the same abuse tactics, the mm-hmm. same you know, you you have to be meek and quiet and have just a happy countenance at all times. Like they were getting all of that too. Yeah. And even now, like if you look at some of the Duggar daughters that are grown, and and even the interviews that they do now, people are like, "Oh, I'm so glad they got out." And I'm like, "You can still hear. You can still hear the bright.
1: It's in there. Yeah, it's in there heavy, and it yeah. and it will it will lurk there until they're willing to root out the majority yeah. of what's really, you know taken hold of them but it's the conditioning that happens to us isn't mm-hmm. it it's you know it and especially for even large families it's not just your mother and father that are kind of um, impacting you with this it's the older siblings that are also forced to keep right. you in line and it just becomes a system that you really cannot get out of and it's reinforced at every single turn you know i had a small family mm-hmm. growing up just two younger brothers but I idolized everybody that worked at headquarters. So when we would go to these seminars, it was always young students that were running the seminars. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, I mean, they they have it made. Like, they're, they're so good and so godly that Bill Gothard wants them at his headquarters, and they're his representatives. Like, if you are a representative of right. Bill Gothard... Then, oh my God, you like you really have like shown yourself, so then uh, shown yourself to be worthy to God and Bill. But when I was asked to go to headquarters by Bill, I thought, oh my gosh, I, I am now this too, and and yeah. yet I knew how much I didn't believe in a lot of it. I I was not I was someone who was putting on the outside so that I could that was my survival mode. Put everything forward for sure. so that I could survive this and not get hurt at home and just try to, I don't know, navigate whatever, all of the stuff that didn't make sense. But on the outside and with my words, they all thought I was towing the line. You know, mm-hmm. so then I get to headquarters and I felt like such a fraud because I knew how much I just didn't really care believe in all of this. And then going to the seminars and seeing the younger girls look up to us. And it just, there was so much of it. I'm like, this is just a cycle that will never break. You know, but it it felt powerful for a while to finally slip into that seat, you know, into that position of Mm -hmm. now I how in the world did I go from being absolutely nobody, to now being a part of the headquarters staff, and like that's what everybody looked up to be, similar to how a lot of people were looking up to the Duggars of like, oh, I wish that my family mm-hmm. was like that.
0: Right. Well, isn't it interesting how that's kind of a culty tactic, especially in that? fundamentalist world is you're told your whole life like you're so unworthy of salvation and of God's love and just how unworthy and you're just a wretch like all of these things that just to break you down and break you down and then suddenly you're in a position where you feel like I'm worthy enough to be like Bill Gothard wants me here I've been handpicked I like I'm worthy of this Mm -hmm. I must be because he picked me right so of course like any 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 of us would have felt that way like you're gonna you're gonna be excited about that and want to do that yeah
1: after absolutely. being told your
0: whole life you're basically a piece of shit <laughs> right. and then now now like you are a pillar in the community for other girls to look up to like oh, it was a mess felt... it was a
1: bit of a mind yeah. freak, to be honest because you're just, I was like yeah. wait a minute I remember when he comes across the the um the breakfast room and he just looks at me and he's like well what is your name and I tell him my name and he's like you know come and speak to me afterwards and and so after the seminar I go talk to him and that's, you know, a, a couple of nights that happens. And then, like, by the third night, he offers me to go to headquarters. And I really thought, I'm like, oh, my God, he literally must see God in me. Like, I must yeah. have actually, even though I had so much doubt about all of this, and I'm just pretending to be this really strong Christian girl, just doing the best I can. Um, now I'm like, wait, is, is it real? If he's seen, I mean, I'm still young. I mean, I was 18 years old at the time, but I still, like, my understanding of the world and even my own worldliness and and cognitive ability, I would think, even at that point, was still pretty, it was stunted. You know, I'm living in this, like, innocent, wide-eyed world of, like, a 14-year-old, 15-year-old. And so I'm like, wait, is... It is God really working in me? And that, it, cause he's the godly one. So like he believes all this, so maybe he is seeing something that God is doing a good work in me and I don't even realize it. Right. Um, so yeah. <laughs> then you look back at it all 25 years later and you're like, uh, yeah, no, Bill just saw a, a cute, eager girl, innocent and wide-eyed and decided like, hey, I'm gonna take advantage of that. And, yep. and there's something about that that validates how I just did not believe this the whole time, and that this really wasn't what I was sold like the bill of goods. It wasn't what I was told. It really was. This was Bill grifting.
0: That was Bill being a predator. Exactly. And yeah, capitalizing on someone he knew he could uh, sway and manipulate mm-hmm. and use to his you know use to his own benefit. What a piece of shit. Well, he
1: knows how we were all raised. Do you know what I mean? Like he knows that he knows what our parents have been shoveling down our throats for for years. So he knows that I'm gonna be, oh, Mr. Gawthard. You know, I I don't know any different. And he knows that I've been told to respect and to obey and to be loyal and submit. So he Mm -hmm. he he had a ripe ground of you know things that he could take advantage of.
0: A thousand percent. He handcrafted the pedestal he put himself on. <laughs> like, exactly. He essentially raised all of us because he created, you know, the groundwork for what our parents just cascaded to all of their kids. Right. So, I mean, we're all uh, his little minions. Yes. A, yep. He's so gross. So gross.
1: <laughs> and effective, which pisses me off.
0: <laughs> it really kind of operated. I think like you mentioned a minute ago, like with the big families or even just any families, mm-hmm. it was like, it was almost like this unspoken um, competition of like being the best, the most godly, the best example of like having the the most well behaved, respectful, obedient children. Like people would, my parents would just beam. They were just so they had so much pride when we because there was seven of us kids growing okay. up, and I'm I'm the oldest daughter, of course. Love that I don't for know us. If that's obvious. Love that for us. <laughs> Love it. A
1: little extra sprinkle of trauma. Uh-huh.
0: The powerhouse girls. Mom. <laughs> the wellhouse of trauma lives in us.
1: Um, the disappointed firstborn girls to our fathers.
0: <laughs> constantly, forevermore. <laughs> We'll never outgrow that nope. i'll be talking to my therapist about that <laughs> but yeah they would be like so they would have so much pride about the fact that we could go out in public and there would be you know seven of us ranging all you know anywhere from like 14 down to a couple months old yeah. and no matter our age it was like we would just fall in line like on the sound of music when the I'm sh- did y'all watch yes of music? course sure of course it yeah. was approved when watching the dad would, like, oh the one <laughs> of the only We didn't even have a TV for the majority of my childhood, but like when we would go over to people's houses and they had a TV, that that was like on the approval list. But it was the same thing. It was like very militant, like, you know, blow the whistle, have them come down and fall (laughs) in line and repeat what they needed to repeat. And it was all an act.
1: Yep, yep. So just like you said, for the parents to take pride in and to have this ego, that look at our children and aren't we fabulous? It was their bragging right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
0: which is just breeding ground for narcissistic Ugh. parents.
1: And I think, it's like al- yeah, perfect place. It 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 it, um, it calls to them. You know, like a system like this calls to, it's the call of the narcissist.
0: <laughs> like the C calls to Moana. Yes.
1: <laughs> the Bill Gothard materials call to the narcissist.
0: So do you have mommy or daddy issues or both? Both.
1: <laughs> Which we're the same. And for very different reasons, so. though. You know, very, very different reasons. Yes. I have a pretty yep. com- complicated uh, family system, but my my dad's my my adopted father. So I didn't grow up with my okay. birth father, and and that was another breeding ground, uh, you know, or n- well, another opportunity for Bill to also kind of like insert himself in my life, mm. um, because in the very beginning he kind of has this checklist he goes through, and most of us who have fallen prey to Bill Gothard's predatory behavior, he we've all noticed that this is what he does. He goes in with kind of this little checklist of like. Do you have the daddy issues? You know, do you struggle with this? Are you a virgin? What's your spiritual gift? What's your birth order? Da, da, da. Like, he kind of just wants to know all these things about you. Um, and he had asked me about, like, my parents and how were things at home. And I, I was an open book. It's Bill. You spill everything out. And I was like, well, my dad's not my birth father. I didn't grow up with him. I, didn't, I, I don't know him, but my, my stepfather has been my father my whole life. I call him dad. And Bill literally was like, well, I will be your spiritual father just like immediately and I was like wait but I have I have one I mean we don't get along and all this but I I still have like the structure if we're going by Bill's chart of authority I have my authority structure of an earthly father and he's like well but I will be your spiritual father and he just like took that command right away he's like I will do this and all three years I was at headquarters I mean he is the one that was responsible for me staying there as long as I did because I found out much later the board had wanted me to go a lot sooner <laughs> because I kept mm. getting into trouble. And, um, <laughs> well, you know, when you, when you don't really feel the Lord in your heart, it's going to be really hard to fake it for three years. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, he really in, inserted himself. And then even before I got married, he wrote a letter to my fiancé basically saying, I, have, I am still her spiritual father and I don't think she's ready to get married. He was doing that when I was engaged. Mm. You know, he still was trying to take some type of his own control over me. Right. And he may seem like a very calm person and I do believe that he does that on purpose. I think it's a control tactic that he has, as a lot of narcissists do. But I think there's so much narcissism in this man that he just seems so unassuming, but he loves to take control of people.
0: Mm -hmm. In a very unassuming type of way. And that's why people like him can get away with it for so Mm -hmm. long is because on the outside looking in, unless you are like a direct victim of someone like that, you're not gonna see it because they're just, they are professionals at, keeping that from people and presenting themselves in a certain type of way Mm -hmm. but like you said you you he has a certain victim profile and you just checked all those boxes and it's it's a weird Mm -hmm. little like power trip that he still wanted to maintain some sort of like egotistical control and power and assert his dominance over you as basically your owner before your fiance just to like let him know his place but also you Mm mm-hmm Yeah, which is really, really gross.
1: It's gross. Yeah. And I had I had no idea that that letter was sent to my fiance. He thankfully held on to it until after we were married to actually tell me Mm. what was going on, Um, which I'm really glad he did, because I think I would have lost my mind. I I was at such a breaking point that if if we had not been engaged, I don't really know where I would be right now in life Um, Mm. because I was I was ready to run away from home. I like just whatever I could do. So I'm I'm really grateful that I I just
0: went and got married instead. <laughs> okay, but same. I mean, I was a, in a different situation, but mm-hmm. li- like that was like my out. Yes. It was like if I don't do this, that I'm going to be here forever. Me too. It was it was like a a um, survival thing. Yes. Which. <laughs> A lot of the stuff that we did for a majority of our lives was strictly survival. I know. Even like looking back, I'm like, did I actually even want to do half of this? No, mm-hmm. I didn't.
1: <laughs> no. If
0: because now, if I could go back and and willingly choose, I wouldn't choose the majority.
1: No, not not a lot of what we were subjected to would I have d- chosen, even a you know as a teenager. I didn't want to learn how to sew. I didn't want to learn how to bake bread. You know what? I haven't baked bread since. I have not owned a sewing machine since I married my husband 23, <laughs> four years ago. Like, I, no, these things were not interesting to me <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> at all. At all.
0: I, I got a sewing machine for my 16th birthday. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. My son my son turns 16 next month. You're getting the so, sewing and machine? I'm like him like, <laughs> and I'm like, it's, it's time the <laughs> right. time has come <laughs> this is calling to you or as a male you you're going to become a
1: cobbler so <laughs> <laughs> prepare the garage <laughs>
0: <laughs> right do i get him like a, a ball pink hammer there you go or like an axe like what <laughs> no you get
1: him an internship so, with a godly man at, at- at church and you i don't know maybe the guy mm. does air condition repair or a lawn Ooh, service that's, that's exactly where yep. you
0: go yep that's it. contractor i feel triggered it's always that it's always some self-employed like yes manual labor. plumber yeah exactly plumber yeah some porn subcategory <laughs> profession but keep it godly always <laughs> but keep it godly and also uh, it's harder to track uh for tax purposes yeah, i don't know yeah. if <laughs> anyone else caught that it, but... always just <laughs> what my family so we we moved around every two years also and people always ask like oh was your dad in military mm-hmm. no it was like number one looking back now i think a lot of it was to keep like neighbors and people from knowing the level of abuse Mm. and like what the kids were kind of enduring and the and the situation that our parents had put us in Mm. and the lack of education like all these things we didn't get health care or anything like that so i think it was kind of a tactic to keep us out of you know off the radar of a lot of people Mm -hmm. um and then also my dad just couldn't hold down a job and so when they're self-employed like that like all those different jobs we were just talking about it's like you know if it's not working out then you just oh well maybe i'll go over here and try this new thing type of yeah so good times were your parents raised were
1: your parents raised fundamentalist as well or no they fell into it were yours no my dad became a Christian. I, I don't know a lot about my parents' history. They don't really tell us much, which I also yeah. find really shady. But um, he became a Christian in high, or yeah, in high school. And like his his grandmother was kind of like a Protestant, and his grand or my grandmother his his mother was Protestant, and his father was Catholic. Um, but very, very loving, super accepting, you know, one of their kids to do what they wanted to do, They're not ruled by an iron fist. So why no. my dad, you know, swang the other way and just became this like really rigid, militant, perfectionist narcissistic need for control kind of person I find it, I find it fascinating like I wish I could dive into him and understand like yeah. what made you you because something happened yeah. to change you to be this way yeah. um or maybe it's a chemical imbalance I don't know <laughs> but um he fell into uh, Christianity that way and then when he met my mother I was I'd already been born I was like a year old or something, and uh, he basically kind of told her like, "Hey, I really, you know, like you, but you know, I can't really consider a long term relationship unless you're a Christian." And she became one because she came from a broken home and mm-hmm. wanted to have that, you know, belonging and community. Right. And I totally understand that. And what community sure. seems more loving at first than a Christian? Community, They yeah. want to welcome you with open arms like, yeah, come into our club. So mm-hmm. again, she's young. She's in her teens, you know, early 20s. And so off to the races. Yeah. So I think Bill Gothard kind of found they stumbled upon him in a space in their lives where I think, you know, they wanted to have the ultimate Christian life. And they are surrounding themselves by Christians. So he was kind of their Tony Robbins, you know, here's the booster pack to becoming the most effectively best conservative Christian possible. And I think they just went too far. You know, they they were, yeah. they were swayed into this thinking that this is the best and it is a level of brainwashing no matter how intelligent they they are. They were, they succumbed to, succumbed to uh, Bill's teachings. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, I was making some content about that yesterday actually about how, you know, one of the big cult myth is that only really naive people get sucked into cults, mm-hmm. but it's I mean, on the contrary, it's like those type of culty environments thrive and flourish by drawing in intelligent people, educated people, people with military backgrounds, things of that nature because it adds so many uh, so it adds a much bigger level of credibility to the organization mm-hmm. as a whole and to the teachings Yeah, to have people like that kind of in their circle. Um, and then also, like I said a minute ago, like the competitive nature of it of wanting to be the best. Ooh.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, ooh. yeah.
0: The bragging rights, the bragging rights of a a kid at headquarters
1: for the Duggars, the bragging rights of being on TV. I mean, Mm. yeah, it's, it's all ego. We're still not getting rid of it in Christianity, apparently. As humble as we're supposed
0: to be. There's not a grain of humility. No. (laughs) How Bill Gothard's structure is with the umbrella and it's like, there's God and then there's the man of the household, Mm -hmm. you know, and. And that's how it was in our family. But behind the scenes, my mom was very much the iron fist and the like more what I would consider the active abuser, Mm, mm. uh, which I think is pretty, I don't know, common if if that's the right word, because the women are ruled with an iron fist by the man. And that's all the teachings is like being submissive, being submissive. But then the women are over the children. So it's like this transfer of of power and control that they take out on the kids, which Luckily for us, it just happens to really hit the shoulders of the oldest daughters mm-hmm, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Coming from the mom, there's, like, all this weird jealousy, too, that is attached. I don't... Girl, it's so, it's so the strange. jealousy
1: is is a thing. This That is a I thing. I know. I can't get it. I, do, I to yeah. this day, still do not understand that aspect of it. I don't I, I just... I think I really sometimes don't. it comes down to we're not having to deal directly with the father and and the mothers are and i think that there is also a lot of grief that's wrapped up in this you know it's it's i think it's confused to our perception i think there's a lot of grief and sadness in them that they are doing this to us because they wish they too could be free but then there's this if i can't be free neither can you And then when we do fight to get to even where we are now, I have fought this for so long, feeling like my mom is just like kind of a succubus. If she could, if Mm -hmm. she could just absorb the essence of me, she would take it and run. Um, And I'm like, girl, it's just about fight. Like, I'm here to support my mother forever and ever if she would pick up and actually fight for herself but I yeah. can't I can't fight for everybody I have to fight for myself to leave all of this and to create a new life right. for myself you know i had I had to undo all of that spiritual nonsense and oppression and whether or not she ever chooses to do that too I hope someday she does but the oh the jealousy even as a teenager I could feel it like if a kid if there was a guy at church that was like flirty and interested in me she would kind of like to start to pick up a friendship with him and I'm like What is this about? I I could never understand it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, I think the jealousy, like you said, it it also comes from a place of grief Mm -hmm. and and also maybe grieving their youth. Yes. And the fact that now their whole lives revolve around being a mother and The joy that they're supposed to get from having children and their children, you know, reaching a certain level within the organization. There's also a level of resentment there towards us, towards all the kids. But I think especially when they see themselves in us, they do do get jealous of that attention. Like they want the attention as an individual because they don't get to be an individual anymore. Now they're part of this bigger kind of scheme of you're kind of only used for your uterus right right
1: (laughs) and i don't know i don't know if your parents were like this but you know my mom had her first kid. she wasn't a christian so it was like outside of marriage getting having a child but she had me when she was 17 so then you know she meets my father and marries him i think like around 19 ish and is already pregnant with a second child so By the, I got married when I was 22. I had already surpassed her by, uh, in the not having children department, in the being single longer. Because even, (laughs) I feel like even though these parents had children really young, it was like somehow either either it was they wanted you to also get married super young, or they wanted you to wait till you were 30. Which I like that was my life. Like my parents wanted me to wait until I was like you know a lot older. I was constantly being told, you know, you're not ready, you're not ready, you're not ready. And I'm like, well. All I'm doing is baking bread and sewing dresses and singing kumbaya in my bedroom. What more do I need to do to prepare for this? Like, what what is the thing? Right. And then it's like, you don't prepare for anything until you're actually courting. And then you're supposed to do right. that in like three months and then get married. And whoa, now you're a woman and a wife and having sex and making babies. And I don't know, you have a whole new world that you really actually didn't quite prepare for because all you were doing was baking bread and right. you know sewing clothes. Um, so when I was 22 and this whole thing came along for me to actually get married, I mean, even my dad, he was just like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You're really young. You're really young. And I'm just like, but my mom had three kids by now and y'all seem to be doing just fine, you know? And I had longer than she did without them. And I I don't know. It's just very strange to me.
0: Right. Because is it they're protecting you because they don't want you to repeat the pattern? Or is it again, kind of like Bill Gothard, where it's like, it's a control power thing where they, they know that once you get married, they won't have that level and that grip on you to maneuver you how they want. It's hard to
1: know, right? Because they're not, they're not transparent about any of it. And if anything, when I would ask questions, they would just take me right back to Bill Gothard's materials. Well, in the basic seminar, it says, or you remember in Wisdom Booklet 42, and you're just like, what? Like what? What can we just be humans? Can we talk like human beings together? Yeah. Can we not always have to have everything go back to a Bible verse somewhere or having to give the wise appeals to ask for permission to do something and I would have to go and run right. and find a scripture to manipulate it so that my parents could see, "Look, I should go to this youth Thing tonight, you right. know, for an hour and a half to play volleyball because Jesus says, you know, it just it was so, ugh, you know, just these small little asinine um, directives that we would have to follow in order to just live a normal life. So, like, why could we not right. just drop all the pretense and have actual conversations with each other? I mean, if my parents had said, "Look, you're you're 22, and we just want you to have a little bit more life experience." Well, they can't say that because my life experience that they're allowing me to have is baking bread and making clothes and then maybe going to headquarters like that's it. So and teaching Sunday school once a week. So they they really couldn't I don't even think they could articulate it. And so that's where, you know, like you were saying that, like Mm -hmm. that narcissistic, like just the control and the power, I'm 22 years old and you're still telling me what to do and what to wear and what I can't listen to and how far I can drive and that I can't have a job um, at 22, but get married and go and live your whole life. Go go, get married and literally now Mm that the world's your oyster. I couldn't wait for that moment. That was, like you said, that was my my way to freedom. Get me out of this this cage that I'm living in.
0: Yeah, it was like the last few years of my life. Well, starting when I was much younger, but especially the last few years of my life, it was exactly like what you described. It's like hearing myself talk when you're (laughs) saying these things because it was like okay I just have to fake it and make it through I just have to like I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and if I can make it to 18 then I can leave and they can't legally bring me back like that was always kind of my Hmm. end goal and that's exactly what I did the year I turned 18 a couple months after I turned 18 threw my shit in a garbage bag and married my son married my son's dad two weeks later Wow, just so like just out of desperation yeah just to be out like that's pretty bad. That's pretty mm-hmm. bad. And then of course I was like shunned and exiled and they didn't want anything of to do course. with me when they figured out I wasn't coming back. <laughs> but it's that level of panic and desperation and willingness to do anything if it meant not staying in that environment any longer, because I just could not stomach it yeah. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it was it was the same deal where it's like my dad used to always jokingly say like, oh, you, you're not allowed to date you're not allowed to court until you're 30 like that was always the number
1: how fun to joke about how fun
0: i'm like that's hilarious aren't we all laughing and for what and for what this is what i never could understand for
1: what reason because you don't want me to enjoy my 20s when my when (laughs) when my body's the best when my my energy is the best what you want like what do you want me to be a married old maid like instantly just an old person and you are just going to keep me in a barrel for the next 10 years what what is that
0: but but right it's like the but they also want you to start having children immediately and also don't you dare use birth control Mm -hmm. so like what do you want They they want you to get married and start having children but get married to the person that they kind of like not betroth you to but approve they of approve? Like, kind of pair you yes with. they have to yeah have they approval. approve of it and mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's disgusting my i'm so glad i think about that so often mm-hmm. about like the people my parents tried to like push me oh, towards sure. the men that they tried to push me towards and i'm like thank fucking baby jesus <laughs> I was a rebellious I was the bad you were child. Willful. They always called me the bad child. I'm like, "Oh, I had that rebellious willful spirit yep. that just they wanted to break so bad." Yeah.
1: You're like, "Good luck. Still haven't broken it."
0: <laughs> it's got it's actually worse. gotten worse. Yeah,
1: good, good. Now that it's unbridled. <laughs> like chains, she's like 18 chains cut off. Oh. Out I go. Yeah. Were you were you ever told as well that um when you did marry That if you had not dealt with all of the issues and the bitterness and the anger that you had towards your father, that you would marry someone just like him so that you could continue to learn the lesson.
0: And... To pile on top of that, there was that because I would get that from my mom Uh because my mom and dad were like this my entire childhood. They didn't even like each other, but they kept fucking and having kids, but they didn't actually like like each other at all. Yeah. But anyway, but so I would get that angle from my mom. And then I would also get the, well, I hope someday you have a daughter just like you so you can see what I have to put up with.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And I used to, I I mean, that one, I fucking hated hearing that. Yeah. And so when I found out six months into being married, I... Was got pregnant, and I remember at that time I was kind of deconstructing, but not really. And so I was like, I remember being on my knees, like, literally, like, God, if you're there, (laughs) please let it be a boy. I please, (laughs) please, please, like, I was literally begging, please don't let me have a girl because I was so scared. Of that, like of everything, mm. my mom had just piled on me about, like you're gonna have a daughter that's just as horrible and, and as terrible and rebellious as right, you. And yeah, right. and I never even—I I don't know about you, but like, I never did anything bad. Actually, no. like looking back, no. I'm like, I never ran away. Right. I never snuck out. I never had sex. I never did drugs. <laughs> I never smoked. Like I didn't. All I did was be homeschooled and go to church. Like and have an
1: attitude. How rebellious? Yeah, and have a bit of an
0: attitude. And roll my roll mm-hmm. your sometimes eyes sometimes i would roll my eyes I love it. Yep.
1: <laughs> or not say yes sir no sir yes ma'am no ma'am right. and all right. that stuff yeah just right. a, uh, defiance we had very defiant, defiant spirits mm-hmm. i think I, I even when we were talking the other day i'm like oh i really like kendra she she's my people <laughs>
0: <laughs> defiance recognizes yes before it
1: <laughs> I know, like, even when I when I was kicked out of headquarters for kissing a boy, I remember who's now my husband, so there's that, everybody. But, um, oh. yeah, but I, I remember telling my mother, uh, you know, and this is me not not having curse words at this point, but I was like, you know, Mom, I know everybody's really mad about this, but it was just a kiss. It wasn't like we were outside on the lawn making love with each other. <laughs> And I look at it now and I'm like, we weren't fucking on the yard. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But I'm like, we weren't out there making love with each other. Oh um, my God, that's hysterical. Like, like, to me, I was like, that's the ultimate bad. Do you know what I mean? Not, I right. mean, kissing, okay, fine. Like, I mean, I even I even admit that when I kissed him, I was like, oh, I see why my parents didn't want me to do this. Because I felt all right. of the electricity going off. And I was like, oh, I, yeah, I want to explore all this stuff, you know. But yeah, yeah. but I also was so afraid that everything would lead to getting pregnant. And I did not. I knew when Mm -hmm. I was a very early teen that I didn't want kids. Um, And so I was like, well, that's a conundrum if I don't want children. But then nobody believes in birth control. And how do I even go about like accessing that? I have no idea. And I'm not going to have sex until I'm married anyway. Like I I even was like, uh, you know, firm with that for myself. But it was based out of fear. Not not out of Mm -hmm. like a true conviction of any kind. I was just terrified that if I had sex, I would you know I would immediately be pregnant because God would just do that to me. (laughs) I really right no literally. I was like, God's gonna make me pregnant.
0: But that's what we were taught, too, is, like, any, like, sin, like, if you left the church or if you left your family or you were too backslidden, mm. then you would be punished by God by either a pregnancy or some incur- incurable yes. disease or some sort of, you know, painful punishment from God as a reflection of your rebellion and your sin. Mm-hmm. Yep. But at least I, you know, at least we weren't fucking on the lawn. Exactly. Yeah, no, no, not on the front lawn of IBLP. (laughs) Instead, I was in an attic. I mean, honestly, (laughs) I'm kind of impressed. I kind of wish y'all had fucked on the lawn (laughs) of the IBLP. Back when I was
1: like Like... super young and hot, honey. (laughs) Just two really pasty white people making out on this beautiful knoll of grass.
0: Looking like a rotisserie (laughs) chicken.
1: (laughs) Oh my God, that would have been hilarious.
0: We always had to leave like two Bible links of space between a boy yes. and us. Like no joke, they'd always be like, "Leave room for Jesus." Oh my gosh! Or the leave six? Did you ever? Jesus. Did you ever hear
1: it as the six-inch rule?
0: Oh yes, oh yes. Especially yeah, at like always, and summer I'm like, camp six six summer inches camp. is not that long. It's not even that much. Just it's not even that much. I mean, having Jesus That's in between you,
1: right? Yep. <laughs> having Jesus in between you would be a whole lot more space.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, just logistically, if. He's the size of a real person. Exactly. But if anyway. he's the size of a real person. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he could fit in six inches, but
1: if he stood sideways,
0: right? He, if he just really sucks skinny. it in, <laughs> <laughs> just suck it in, Jesus. He's got a flat. There's a six inches you know?
1: we were he talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, we were I wasn't taught anything about like birth control or safe sex yeah. or anything of course i wasn't even allowed to use tampons Mm -hmm. because they thought that would essentially take my virginity and so even though i was planning on like while i was planning my escape running away from home because i faked being sick on a sunday while everyone went to church and um and then my ex came and picked me up anyway um i was like in my head i the way that sex had been portrayed and talked about and shamed i was like i was so naive poor little baby we were like you said even though even though like no matter your age it's always like you said a minute ago it's we were kind of repressed by years so even though i was barely 18 i was i feel like mentally i was operating especially about that kind of stuff probably like 13 14 Mm -hmm. and so in my mind i was like okay because i had never done anything with a boy and i'm like okay i i sex does not sound fun it doesn't sound like anything i want to be a part of i also did not want children mm-hmm. so i was like i actually think i can just avoid sex like i think i could right. be married i legit <laughs> legit we'll be roommates thought i could be married <laughs> yes and i was like it'll be fine like it'll like we'll make it work we don't have to have sex like it'll be i can like find my way around right, right. that that didn't work
1: you learned fairly quickly
0: my son prime example (laughs) god love him
1: good kid great kid but i remember um when i started courting we had to read like the five love languages and then we had to read intended for pleasure um i think i had one of the elizabeth elliot books that i had to read and he had some other book he had to read and then we had to literally Mm -hmm. like fill out book reports To this pastor, and I was just like, what is this? Like, again, can we just have a normal conversation? Like, I had a better conversation Mm -hmm. with the gynecologist than I did with any of these darn books, you know? um just so ridiculous and then yeah even like having to go in good my mom didn't even go with me she was like oh you need to go to the gynecologist and get checked out before you know you get married and i'm like this is a thing i guess like i don't know It just none of it made sense i'd never gone to a doctor before for female checkouts or whatever checkups or anything and um it was just so awkward and it was a guy you know and he i mean he I can't oh, believe so, your mom left. Oh, you. I know, right? But he was—I was so stressed out about this, and he was like, he was really cool though, because he like went to do the exam. And he's like, um, I, we're not going to do this exam. Um, he was like, this is not my place to be in this place right now. Like, this is for you and your to be husband to, you know, do the thing. Oh. Yeah, like he saw I was a virgin, I think, and he was just like, this is oh. not for me to be here for your first experience of anything and yeah and it was so it was what he like he gave me this huge tube of KY jelly and he was just like enjoy your honeymoon <laughs> and i was like what do i do with this you know like i had no idea what i was supposed to happen with this but he but he, he was just like you know I, I think he just realized i mean i was 22 years old but i'm sure like i look back at my own wedding pictures and i look like a kid like a kid playing dress yeah. up in a wedding dress. And, you know, it yeah. just, I did not know about the life I was entering. Um, and I'm sorry, but Intended for Pleasure was not, was not enough. Because my, it, even though it does no. talk about, you know, some of the acts, you know, in the relationship of a man and a woman, it still talks about this, like, sub, there's still a submission and a dominance thing. Yep. And I've always had a very hard time with people dominating Um, When it comes to me, like, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me I have to or I must. And it's not because I'm not capable of being a team player or working with others. It's just simply it's such a trigger for me because in those younger years, as I'm sure you can relate, you were dominated always. And Mm -hmm. the expectation was simply that you would submit and comply against your own will, like it's against my will to, to submit to some of these things, but I had no choice because that was That was how I survived, because if I didn't Mm -hmm. submit and I didn't obey, then it would be discipline, you know. And again, then, you know, the fear of that, you know, the pain of being hurt. And you don't want that either. So you just fall into this ridiculous compliance.
0: It is a very sensitive trigger for me Mm -hmm. as well. I was even talking to my boyfriend about it yesterday we were talking about taking a cooking we were supposed to take a cooking class uh, tonight and we canceled because both both of us are very introverted and we're like we really just don't feel like being around other couples yeah tonight. yeah <laughs> uh the the night before valentine's Ugh, day so we we're supposed- yeah. anyway we canceled because <laughs> we were just like both not feeling it we're like we want to do it but just because i'm like i know myself and i get very triggered by being told what to do and especially if i feel like someone's um trying to yes, talk down to me sending. and kind of and yeah, condescending and kind of being mm. domineering. And I, I, I think it's really because it gives me that sense of my autonomy being taken mm-hmm. from me again. Yeah. It gives me a sense of you don't know what you're doing. You're just a woman. You need to be told what to do. You need to be directed. You don't have the capability of making your own decisions or figuring things out on your own. So you it, it just it just feels like that autonomy is just stripped from me every yeah. single yeah. time, which is not. Again, not that I can't be a team player. I've been in corporate America for f- fucking fifth, you know, 10, yeah, 15 years, so obviously I'm capable. But it is definitely, I'm very sensitive to that. And luckily I'm the bossy one in this relationship. It <laughs> yeah, works but out. It, it can't, it
1: brings up like it, even, even if the person talking to you doesn't really mean it that way, it's, I do have to really like yeah. check myself a lot of the time because I'm like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. aware that I'm, I'm like having this like almost physical response. It's yeah. like burbling up in me. And I'm, I just, yeah. I, so I've learned to also just use my voice where I'm like, I'm sorry, can you clarify what you're saying? Like I don't think you're trying to just like be a be bossy pants, but I Can we say this in a different way? You know, and I've learned that we do, even though we feel like it's being, the autonomy is being taken from us, we do now have the right and the ability to express ourselves uh, against Mm -hmm. when that happens. You know, and I've taken cooking classes too, and I know what you mean, where it's like all of a sudden they're just like, no, you need to mix it this way. And you're like, oh my God, back off, bro. Bitch, I've been breaking bread since I was. (laughs) That's right? Like It's just a ganache. You don't have to tell me how to cook. <laughs> like, slow your roll, sir. Um, but, that but then I'm like, yeah, but then I'm like, well, you know, he just wants me to learn it the right way. And he has no idea of my childhood. He has no idea of who the hell I am. Of so course. I'll of just course. take it with a grain of salt or I'll get sassy, you know, I'll be like, Oh, okay. Yep. You know, instead of just yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. Instead of like, my reaction, where I just want to be like, really, that's how you're going to roll right now. I'm paying you to do this shit to me. Like instead of like, you know, completely going off on him. But I know how you, I know what you mean. It's like, it
0: (laughs) took me so long to just like tiptoe my way into even saying my piece or having an opinion or having a voice at the lowest fucking level at the bare minimum. And then for a couple years of my life, it was like the opposite where like the pendulum swung the opposite way where I would just be so sensitive and so reactive anytime I felt like someone was trying to boss me or tell me what to do. And I would feel constantly like they were trying to take my autonomy Um, and they weren't most of the time. And so now it really is about just kind of finding that middle ground where it's like I... Mm-hmm. If I do feel like that's happening, then I can at least be empowered now yeah. and feel capable of saying something in a kinder way.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it doesn't it doesn't come off so harsh because we and and everybody, even for people that are, <clears throat> excuse me, any for anyone that's listening to, like you're going to have a period of sloppiness. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you when you leave a system that's high controlled like this and your voice is stifled. And repressed when you learn to use it, you're kind of like a new puppy with big feet, you know, like you're going to stumble all over the place and you're going to have moments where you are just rude or disrespectful and it's okay. We can't apologize for it or people will also like if you surround yourself with people that understand where you've come from and you're vulnerable and honest with them, they're going to understand when you lash out and they might like course correct you. I have dear friends that will say, Lindsay, that was really out of line. And I'm like, well, it's how I feel right now. Okay, well, maybe there's a better way that we can say how we feel instead of being actually cruel to people. And I'm like, well, that hurts me because I'm like, I'm not trying to be cruel to anybody. But our our reactions can be so much Our tend to be so much bigger because now we have all the stuff that's been bottled up for decades mm-hmm. and we're finally releasing it and it might be over just like the smallest thing and we overreact like huge mm-hmm. but it's just because all of that's been pent up for a while so don't don't get on yourself if you're you know having these wild reactions because it it does get better Mm -hmm. but allow yourself to continue to expel it because if you hold on to it you're now repressing yourself right um and that's just the awful system that continues to keep on giving (laughs) in these high control situations Mm -hmm. but yeah
0: yeah the reactions are really big because the pain is really big especially for women yes i think i mean as a woman i'm saying that because of how repressed you know we always were Um, so now it's like, it feels almost like an obligation to speak up anytime I can. Again, I'm finding a much kinder way and figuring out like over the years, just when it's really necessary that I say something and when I can let things go, because it's okay to let things go. And that was a really hard learning curve for me as well is I have such a strong sense of justice that I feel like anytime there's any sort of something being done wrong towards me or to someone else I'm observing, I've always felt just like this pull to do something, to say something, because in retrospect, no one did that for me. And so I feel like it's like my responsibility to do it. But it's not. It's not always my responsibility. I don't always have to burden like put that burden on me to save other people or mm-hmm. lash yeah. out on other people's behalf.
1: Right. Well, and, and they need to be able to find their voices too. And I think for these kinds of conversations that we're having and that you allow to have on your channel, you know, it it does help people realize like, oh, I too can have a voice. Mm-hmm. And and we do need to help amplify and bring up the people that are just learning how to use their voices too. you know, like, it's okay to come out and actually speak about what happened to you. And we're here to support that. And that's the advocacy that is so exciting for us to be able to have because we didn't have any we had a lot of people observing us. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that realize now what we were really going through and those things that didn't quite make sense. You know, I had several family members that meant so that, that mean the world to me. And after the documentary came out, you know, they reached out to me and they were just like, we just always knew something was kind of off, but we didn't know it was this bad. You know, and we wish that we had spoken up sooner, that we had done something. And I'm just like, you couldn't have truly known because that was the point. Right. The point was to be shiny, happy people so that you wouldn't know right. all of the insidious crap going on, you know, behind the scenes. But now that you are aware, you know, speak up when stuff doesn't make sense. Even now, you know, if stuff still isn't making sense, even in my own family, I would want someone to speak up and and speak on my behalf. You. you know, or me on the behalf of somebody else, when I see something that is just not quite making sense, we, people need that advocacy. And if you're, if, if your assumption or your gut instinct is slightly incorrect, at least you asked because you never know. I'd rather be wrong right, than be right and do nothing.
0: Right. 100%. I can't live with that. I can't live with doing nothing. I can live with being wrong. No,
1: I can say, hey, sorry, my bad, you know.
0: Right, right. I was talking to the ladies over at um, Coalition for Responsible Home Education. And I was Mm -hmm. covering the Mm -hmm. story of Roman Lopez, uh, the little boy who was taken out of school and was homeschooled and, you know, ended up, His parents killed him. Anyway. Yeah. There's so many cases like that. Like, you can go on that website, the Coalition for Responsible Home Education, and look up. Like, they have records of all of these kids where these horrible situations have happened. Not just homicide, but, you know, neglect and abuse of various forms. Like, and so many of the common denominators you see in there is that neighbors, friends, family were like, yeah, I just knew something was off. But, you know, I never said anything or I wish I had said something then say say something. Just say something. Like you don't right, even right. know how small of a thing could you know kind of like start the snowball effect of helping these kids out. So if and usually if mm-hmm. your gut is feeling off about something, it's usually right. So
1: yeah, your gut exists for a reason.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, what's the worst? What's the if I I like I just imagine like if I had kids and I was homeschooling them and the neighbor calls the cops or social services and I get a knock on my door and they're like, Hey, can we come in and check on your kids? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Come on in. I have nothing to hide, you know? And you know, I know that I wouldn't be hitting them and abusing them, but if, if, you know, and then, and then social services leaves, because of course, everything would be fine. I would, I would wonder who, who, (laughs) who did that. But also if there was a family where kids were getting harmed and injured I would absolutely have wanted that check. Right. Absolutely. Of course, the people that are doing the abuse would not want that, but Mm -hmm. you could save a life. I mean, truly a life. And even if it's not, you know, that the children were at harm of like being unalived, it's still you're saving their future. You're saving right. their mental health. You're saving them from thousands of dollars of therapy. I was you know, say you're yeah. you're helping them get on a better trajectory. You know, um, I really wish that somebody had stepped out for me at some point in my childhood because I think my life would have been a lot different. I love my life now. It is what you know. It, all of that is what it is. But, you know, my an aunt and uncle, actually, when I was, it was just before I got in, um, engaged or started courting. It was like literally the month before I started courting my now husband. But they had taken me aside at 21 years old. And they were just like, hey, if you would like to come and live with us, oh. we, uh, you know, want to offer that to you. Um, but I was miss, uh, I was the firstborn. So I'm like, I need to be home to protect my brothers, you know, my younger brothers are going through it. And, you know, I they don't have anybody to advocate for them at home. Mm-hmm. Not that I was really that much of a protector as the, the the oldest girl. But I still felt like I needed to be there for them yeah. and just watch out for them. So I just I couldn't take up that opportunity. But I wanted to so badly. But then my husband came along and I was like, I think this is a good way to go. Let's yeah. go get married.
0: <laughs> it, it, it worked. It worked. Uh, I, yeah, exactly. I feel that that's so real because I was this. No, I don't think anyone ever offered for me to come live with them. But there was that I felt so guilty when I did end up leaving because I felt like I was um a buffer between them and my parents and so Mm -hmm. if i was gone then i knew that they would receive the brunt of that especially knowing that my parents were so angry once i did leave so it's like i felt carried so much guilt for that for for freaking a decade (laughs) about you know what i i felt like i forced on my siblings when i left so Mm -hmm
1: i know that feeling yeah i felt really guilty for a couple of years as well i was just like i'm not there i'm now like living this new explorative life and they're still at home dealing with just all of the quagmire you know Mm -hmm. like i felt yeah i felt so bad
0: yeah ugh that's not even our guilt. That's the shitty part is like, <laughs> that was so misplaced. Right. That's not a
1: responsibility to have. No. Exactly. But they
0: fought their way. They fought their way to their places
1: now. You know, I think oh, if good. anything, maybe me also stepping out of the picture, you know, they now had to stand on their own two feet, you know, and kind of yeah. overcome a lot for themselves. But yeah, it's just, it's just crummy. It really if I could, is. If I could erase certain things from, from all of those experiences, I mean just the the childhood part would have been the biggest one it would have changed
0: yeah because i mean if, if nothing else like you said the money that would have been saved in therapy alone <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> like do you think that maybe we could send an invoice to our parents to reimburse us for the thing. That would be
1: great. Um, I would send I would send it to my parents, I would send it to IBLP, I would send it to Bill Gothard. I mean, hey, I'll I'll go to any resource that's willing to pay out because they're all responsible.
0: <laughs> Truly. They all played a part in it, willingly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you're welcome for the services of advertising your money-making business, <laughs> Bill Gothard. Did you and your husband, did you ch- both deconstruct, like, at the same time? Like, did you leave kind of that, the church at the same time? Or what was that process like? Sort of. I, I, it, It's actually
1: been really fascinating for me (laughs) to go through this experience of even just the documentary. And I started going to therapy about three years ago. Um, And when we got married, it was kind of like, I mean, we both were ATI kids. Like we had both been completely, you know, down the rabbit hole with IBLP. But what I didn't realize until the documentary is how little my husband adhered to everything. Mm. I kind of had this assumption my whole life that like he he too was just like fully like indoctrinated but but not because like when we got married we both were just like well screw all that you know mm. it, it it wasn't um, I mean we still went to church on Sundays um, because we, we kind of we worked for headquarters for another like year or so oh, gotcha. after we got married um, remotely and uh, we were about an hour and a half away from Chicago, Illinois. So when when headquarters would have special uh, like staff dinners and things like that, we would actually go, which was hyper awkward. Um, because we used to be students and now we're staff. And uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> so we, but through that time, I think it was maybe six to eight months into our marriage where I just started getting to the point where like, I could not go to church. I couldn't do it. Partly because every time I would go, the women would just giddily ask if I was pregnant yet are you expecting oh are you guys pregnant and i'm just like why are you asking me if i'm having a relationship with my husband like don't you guys realize that's really what you're asking like hey did you fuck really hard this week like i don't i don't know it's just i was like it was so how do you go from purity culture to like hey have you made a baby yet and i'm just like i'm still figuring out how the first part works you know and 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 being okay with that part versus and and then just like now you want me to have a baby not have sex for nine months or whatever you know because that's how christians are right don't have sex for the nine months and then and then you have a baby and then like in three months go do it all over again and then it's just like every time you do this act you're pregnant again and I'm like no no, like I, I so I started feeling like so much anxiety about going to church because it not that church ever made me feel calm or joyful i always even as a kid he loathed going to church um i liked the people like going and seeing friends and stuff but i hated the whole you know hour-long sermons and everybody yelling at you and just um but i got to a point where it's just like i have so much anxiety just trying to get ready to go to church and then i sit there and i i daydream out i just i would just like disassociate out and just think about all the other stuff i'd have to do for the week and then i would you know read other parts of the bible while i'm sitting there anyway I just was like this isn't for me anymore and i i would constantly have excuses like oh i have cramps this week honey i'm not gonna go and he would go and then i would say you know oh I'm, i feel like i'm coming down with a sinus infection i don't feel okay and i finally just came out and said you know i just don't want to go church anymore it's i i feel fine i just yeah. but i also do kind of feel sick it was like yeah. the day before saturdays i would always i would start feeling bad physically and then the next day i'm like i can't get out of bed and i realize now it's depress, it was depression yeah. it was just the anxiety and the worry and the overwhelm it was just too much so then um i told him i didn't want to go anymore and he was like okay yeah no problem and i'm like oh wait what you are not a classic ati person or iblp guy were you like like, i married a bad boy (laughs) right and i yet i didn't really actually know (laughs) you were a bad guy like a bad boy but okay so we kind of all together stopped going and it made his parents upset it made my parents upset and i'm like you don't live my life You now don't get to control my life. And I'm not really listening to your counsel either, Mm -hmm. which was another Bill Gothard thing. Mm -hmm. You know, once you get married, you still have to listen to the counsel of your parents. And I'm like, Mm but do I? But do I, though? (laughs) Do I really? (laughs) So so it wasn't, we didn't really go down a deconstruction path. We just, I would call it more of like a destruction path where we were just like, (laughs) screw it. You're like I'm going to a yeah. the movie theater now. I'm wearing shorts and tank tops. I'm just going to try things. It wasn't I wasn't sitting there going, "Oh, but purity culture tells me, you know, and and I'm not I don't I don't say that to be mocking to anybody who sure. you know and and anybody's journey of deconstruction. But I think that I we had, I had just been so smothered with this stuff that I knew what it was. I knew what I'd been told. I knew the the indoctrination forwards, backwards, inside out. And so it was just I don't want to think about it anymore. I mm. want to just try stuff and explore. I didn't have my first like real drink of alcohol until I was twenty-six. You know, so it wasn't like I <laughs> I left Christianity and I went hog wild. Right. Right. You know, I still was really timid and really scared. And even though the funny thing is, even though I've I struggled with all of the um the religious aspects of it and is there a god, I always had the fear of. That there was a God yeah
0: yeah
1: like I'm I'm not really interested I don't see his miracles I don't see his love I don't see him hearing my cry for help in any way in any capacity however if I do bad things God definitely exists right if I'm sick and I had like, I had a circulation disorder and I had this and that going on with my body. And so I was like, well, God's disciplining me for something, probably because I wore those shorts shorts last Tuesday, you know, oh, I think I'm in a model. And it's like, well, I'm getting sinus infections all the time. I guess God doesn't want me to be modeling, but you know what? I still really enjoy it. So I'm going to still do it. And it really was that I had an autoimmune disease and I didn't know it. And I'm walking around through my life, you know, with all these issues, probably due to my childhood and all the oppression, um, An inflammation that it created. Hello, trauma. Um, right. But I was I was more afraid of of the repercussions of a god than I was about a god actually doing anything of value for me and benefit and love and compassion and care. Um, so that was more. I think what I had to to undo for myself was like, look, I just had a whole an entire bottle of wine in an evening with friends and lightning didn't strike me and I didn't get in a death car accident on the way home. You know, oh, I'm okay. So it was more just tiptoeing out into the world and realizing that like, yeah, there are limits to what I would care to do, because I have a moral compass. um, And I want to respect my body. And I don't, you know, need to do everything for every thrill seek on the planet. Um, I also can be a scared, Same. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? So it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't really like full on deconstruction. And it, when I, so when I got into doing the documentary and the therapy stuff, I remember asking my husband, I'm like, is, you know, are you okay with this? And of course, you know, of course he's, he's fine with me doing all of this, but I'm like, it, does, it just doesn't seem like it's been as hard for you as it has been for me the last like 20 plus years or whatever. And I don't, I mean, I'm very happy for yes. you, that you that, haven't, that for like, you haven't, like, had these crazy struggles. I'm very glad <laughs> for you, honey. Love it. Love it. <laughs> but but I'm like, also, Dallas, what the hell? How is it so easy for you? And I'm over here just, like, drowning and, like, trying to, you Seriously. know, thrash in the water going, please give me air, everybody. And um, he was just like, you know... It, Even his purpose for being at headquarters was just very—it was—it was was to learn programming. He's in computers, and you know he saw it as an opportunity to work on bigger computer systems. And I was like, so you weren't there out of like because it was the Ministry of Bill Gothard? And he was like, no. And I'm like, how do? I just never thought to ask that. You know what I mean? like because when you're when you're in the like indoctrination bubble, you just assume that everybody around you has yeah. those same feelings and the same like the ideology or their wherever their brain is sitting at that point. And I just think it also shows the difference between the men and the women. That's what I was, you know, that he was able to just be like, I'm gonna do me and I'm here for for business. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I'm here because my parents have allowed me to be here and Bill wants me to be here. And I was more of like a secretarial kind of uh, existence. And meanwhile, he, you know, my husband's like, I just needed to work on a bigger computer system so that I could could advance myself in my career when I leave all of this. And I'm just like, how have we been married for 22 years? And I'm just now finding wow. this out. Wow. Wow. You know, and not that he was keeping it a secret, sure. but it just was nothing that I, I just assumed that he was on a same like kind of mind wave path of, of this like shun the way we were raised, try to get out into the world. And I just realized how much more, and I also had a more physically abusive uh Relationship mm-hmm. with my parents. And so I think that the fear of learning and exploring and being right. curious was absolutely literally beat out of me. Whereas yeah. he did not have that in his family. So he was a little like easier to just like get out in the world and trust things and try right. things and, you know, be okay to fail. And whereas I was like, if I fail, it's over. Game it's over. over. I'm getting yeah. fired. People will hate me forever. Yeah, exactly. So like extremism, I think. Mm-hmm. I had more of the extreme versus him. So, you know, I, I think for deconstruction, it's it's not that we went in and checked boxed everything off. It was more that we just tried to experience the world. And then when we would hit a wall or something that would kind of trigger, we'd be like, Well, this was weird. you know but it's okay you know well whatever we just won't do that again or or loved it for us let's try that again
0: yeah you know no I think for me I have personally kind of looked at deconstruction as just more of a willingness to change my mind or to change my opinion about things because Mm -hmm. my what I consider my deconstruction process was like what you said it was less about oh, let me examine everything that I've ever been taught and unpack every little detail of this, you know, organization and this, this uh, like, brainwashing structure. It took years of therapy and multiple therapists telling me that I was in a cult before I even could come to grips with the severity of how I was raised and the impact of what I went through. But it's more about, like, being Mm -hmm. able to question these systems at some point or question what i was taught in some way of like maybe they're not right like just being open to that thought to me is where deconstruction really happened for me across the board is being open to
1: questioning
0: Mm -hmm. the authority figures or questioning everything that i had been taught but like why why do i think it's wrong to wear pants why am I against wearing pants? What what would happen if I wore pants? Like just that, or I'm going to wear pants. And right, if right. I don't get struck by lightning, then I guess it's fine. <laughs> so that was <laughs> exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. And then since then, like in the more, probably the past five, six years, I've really dug into kind of like the, like the, the building blocks of all of those systems. And the more of the, like this breaking down the spirituality mm-hmm. or the religious side of things, but even still, it's the deconstruction is just a lot of like critical thinking <laughs> about just yes. teachings or being open to changing my mind. And that's OK. Even now, things I do now, I can be open to changing my mind and unwiring that that part of me that instantly wants to be defensive when people critique right. me. Like even that is a huge deconstruction Aspect. Yeah, I just went off on a tangent. It's,
1: sorry. I, I totally agree with you. I feel. I feel like it's like no, no, no. I think it's it's perfect. And it, it, the only reason I was interrupting is that it, it's more. I think maybe you would relate to this, but I'm feeling like it's it's not so much that it's like each little tick the box of this topic or this topic. It's more our behavioral responses. Mm-hmm. Like I have found that that's been, you know, I went through EMDR therapy and it, oh my gosh, it changed my life. I know it's not for everybody. It can be really intense, but I was ready for the Formula One race car, you know, track, give it all to me. Let my, let my, you know, my mouth flap in the wind as I'm just like flying (laughs) at breakneck speed, you know, trying to just, you know, cure myself. But I was just like, bring it on clockwork orange, open my eyes, give me everything. (laughs) I don't care how difficult it is. I, I want I just want to be yes, done I'm with ready. this like pluck everything out but it, it but it really was the behavioral responses the body responses because that is what has been the worst mm. for me my mind our minds are really sharp I mean I'm yeah. I, I stand by this forever and ever anybody who's been through the kind of trauma religious trauma and oppressive trauma that we have been through we are really sharp people we are we can pick up and sense things Mm -hmm. when we walk in a restaurant when we walk in the mall when we walk across a parking lot I will feel energy and not know where it is coming from until my eyes land on the right person and I'm like you're what I'm feeling it's Mm -hmm. so bizarre but our so our bodies are very hyper aware hypersensitive and because of all of this trauma that we have been through and the hyper awareness that we've had to have and like we tend to catastrophize about things and well why wouldn't we we've gone through all of this trauma and so we're constantly on the alert for it so how do you how do you take that part that started when you were a kid and worked its way up until your 20s and then you're quote free of your parents but you're definitely not free of the way your body learned how to take in everything around itself. That's it. So I have found that like the deconstruction of the religious, sure, that is a really heavy part for a lot of people, but I think for the CPTSD and the physical trauma that we had to go through and the abuses that conditioned our bodies to have a certain type of response. And I have found that that has been the hardest part to actually, mm-hmm. um, diffuse in myself I don't I don't really want to use the word deconstruction in this aspect because it's it's about diffusing the inflammation and the overreactive systems that we have that misfire off in our bodies now as truly just like a protective mechanism but it's not necessary to have that anymore we should be allowed to unleash the things that make us angry and say you know I'm really mad right now but Mm -hmm. we we held on to it and we just implode it in our own bodies and that's why like if someone comes at us with like a defensive nature or condescending we're very hot to the handle like right. immediately and it's like it's okay to expel that now so how do you how do you deconstruct and then also just sort of like diffuse the energies that are just like misfiring the synapses in our bodies too mm-hmm. Um, and that's I, where therapy so important.
0: Right. I was going to say that <laughs> therapy, therapy, therapy because it's I think it boils down to our nervous systems being so dysregulated at such a massive level and scale that deconstruction, quote unquote, is actually just rewiring our nervous systems, like you said, to be able to diffuse in those moments instead of yeah. letting it escalate even further and being OK with feeling the entire range of emotion without feeling the need to like transfer that onto other people. Um, and so the, the yeah. different layers of healing my nervous system through different types of therapy, but also just everyday life and relationships, it's like that heals me more than going down rabbit holes, looking at, you know, why this religion is wrong like I couldn't I don't care to do that I don't care to argue religion with people like at all if you're religious good on you I don't care like I'm not anti-religion I'm not anti-church I'm Mm anti-control and I'm anti-brainwashing and so and because of experiencing all of that it's so important to me now that I am regulated that I feel safe in my environment and in my body and Mm -hmm. if I don't then I know how to get to where I do feel safe in my environment or my body and you exactly know, taking control in that aspect. So, and you have the right the to demand changer.
1: that for yourself
0: a thousand percent yeah. get that autonomy girl. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you are awesome. And I appreciate you being here. I think this is a great conversation. It's it kind of you took too. a direction. I wasn't, you know, I didn't know where it was going to go exactly, but I'm glad it went this way. Um, and I feel, I don't know about, yeah. I feel a little healed. I don't know about you. <laughs>
1: I do. I, you, like I said, when we were talking in our like pre-conversation before the recording, I was just like, oh my gosh, Kendra's my people. <laughs> I feel, <laughs> I just, we talked so easily and so quickly and we were just, you know, uh, bouncing off of each other so organically. I was like, this is going to be a really fun conversation. Yes. I didn't really know where it was going to go either because I know we had talked about a, b- a few things and I'm like, I like where this went.
0: <laughs> I do too. I think it needed to go here and I feel, I feel good about it. The Cult Chronicles is where people can find you. So I will link all of your stuff in the this- show notes is there anything else that you want to share with people or any other resources that you would offer for people getting out or or maybe even at the same spot in life as we are
1: um, yeah I well I would actually um, probably direct people over to my link tree. Which is in? Um, I mean, you can get it off of uh, Instagram or on TikTok. I have so many different resources that are in there. Um, yeah, and I can I can also send you my link tree as well, so you can put it in the show notes. Perfect. Um, just just a lot of different resources that are there, um, as well as for people that don't aren't really aware of what IBLP was. If you guys want to see what my education uh, consisted of, I do have a link for all of the wisdom booklets, and that's a wild ride. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, just. And I've I've done a lot of other podcasts where I tell my story where I was at headquarters and kind of what that was like because it didn't really they didn't really go too deep into that in the documentary so there's uh, if you guys are curious about more of like my actual story and what I like what I dealt with dealing with Bill um, and stuff like that it's out there too but I do have other resources if you want to be able to reach out like the Coalition for Homeschooling Um, like I have them listed and the Vashti uh, Institute as well just resources where you can get help too. if you need to uh, leave a high control group or you're not sure where to go at this point, you know, places that you can reach out to for help, because though I talk about and advocate for this a lot, I am not a licensed therapist um, (laughs) with the ability to uh, heal everybody. So there's also a resource out there for EMDR too. If you guys Mm -hmm. are looking for EMDR therapy, Um, it just really, it helps especially for those of us who have very, um, high misfiring nervous systems I think that it is able to get into the deeper places in your therapy to root out and calm down places in yourself I mean I Mm -hmm. I can't even tell you the night and day difference of what what it did for my body Um, and I now I, I got off two medications because of it um because of the healing that it was able to provide me. So it's 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 huge. Um but yeah, so those are those are my links and whenever I add stuff I also have a Discord group that um some of my moderators awesome. in TikTok decided to create. They were just like we need this little get together group cuz sometimes in TikTok it's hard, you know, yeah. to communicate in that space. So we have a Discord group as well and I've got a lot of wonderful, awesome moderators that are out there that if I'm not able to answer something, they will and it's it's just a really cool group of people. So We don't, we don't wax long on deconstruction and things like that. But if you're having a bad day or this triggered you, like everybody wants to know. And then we, we support you and we're like, Hey, been there, done that. Yeah. Like it's okay. Or maybe this will help. Or, um, we send funny memes and things like that. So it's just a fun little, little get together, hangout.
0: I love it. Community's so important. I love that you have a Discord. I might have to pop in over there. Yeah, come on over. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the channel, there's a couple ways you can do that. The Anti-Cult Club on YouTube has four tiers ranging from Rebel and Jezebel all the way up to Full-Blown Heathen, and I've been posting a ton of personal stuff on there this week. You can also show support with a super thanks or donation, but if you're unable to support in that way, simply interacting with a like or comment is extremely helpful as well. Drink your water, be nice to yourself, and live, laugh, leave a cult. Okay, thanks, love you, bye.